Hey, legends, you know, none of our interviews or episodes ever date, ever. They are all timeless and ready for you for when you're ready to listen. Download the lot and rip in. Welcome back to Andy Raymond Unfiltered, the Michael Cleary story. In part one, the struggles of his early years and an amazing wallaby tour of South Africa. The story continues. Where did you find the time? I used to make the time. Yeah. I, 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 had, a, I had a good job. I worked hard at the job. I finished at five o'clock. I went to training at Rushcutters Bay. I trained. That, that was my life, was, was, was training. I, I couldn't do anything. You couldn't, you couldn't give me a book to read because I couldn't read it. Couldn't do anything. So that was the only thing I did. And uh, I remember I got a pair of spikes made. I'd never heard of Adidas Adidas or Puma or any of that. I'd never heard of those. And I got these spikes made by a fellow called Smith, Lilydale Street at Marrickville. They were pure kangaroo hide, inch and a half spikes. Beautiful. Yeah. Oh, so soft and light and beautiful. I went up to Perth and uh, we went to Geraldton the week before the games. I went and got on that got on the showground at Geraldton. I went equal the world record nine point three on a grass track. Nine three, hundred and ten yards. No, hundred yards. Hundred yards. yards. Yeah, yeah hundred yards. But then the big problem came. But they wouldn't let us on the track at Perry Lakes. We had to train next door in the cinders track. That was okay. But I didn't know what a tartan track was. Therefore, you had the wrong spikes. I didn't know. That's right. Concrete base with a tartan grass tartan track. uh, Grass ticks uh, on the top. I got got on them with the spikes. I thought, they won't go in the ground. What's going on here? No one even told me to go to a garage and file them down or anything like that. I I see all the English people and the bloody Canadians and all that. Taking their spikes out, they've, they've got Adidas and Pumas and all those sort of equipment. We never heard of that, didn't mm. know what they were. So I went in 100 yards, I ran a 9.4. And then by the time I got to the final, I got beaten in 9.6. Yep. But the funny part about it is when the finish line went up, it was Serafino Anteo from Kenya was first, Tommy Robinson Tommy from Robinson. Bahamas. Second, and Gary Holsworth, Australia third. The next day, I went on, on television. Perserati, Tony Madigan, a few other people, and they they played the the um, the hundred yards final. And someone said, I don't know who it was, said they've given the medal to the wrong fella. They said, yeah. They played that they played that photo finish seven times that Sunday. So then I was going out for the final of the 220, and I should have got a silver in the 220 because I we'll called David Jones from England, got the second second prize, and I, I beat him at Geraldton by a couple of yards, did it? No problem. So as we're going out, uh, the round announcement says, oh, no, starter says, on your marks, that's right, on you. Then we get, and then he's, stand up, stand up, stand up, and the announcement comes over, ladies and gentlemen, the, Judges have viewed the photo finish and realised there's been a mistake made, and it's clearly Australia third, not Holsworth. I said I got no chance of getting on the dais. They couldn't, they couldn't get uh, uh, Holsworth's medal because he, he, he smelled a rat and 
He sent it home to his mother. <laughs> so they couldn't get so I've got the medal I've got the medal downstairs and Has uh, Gary still got one? Gary's got his, yeah, yeah. Gary's got his. Yeah. I don't know what, whether he claims it or not, but he, he sent it to his mother so they couldn't get it back. That's amazing to yeah. think that happened, isn't and it? And they what they did, they like I got one and you have a look at the back of it, you can see they've scraped something up some mistake and then put mine over it, but I don't care, it's still my medal. It's beautiful. So then I came back from there and... Uh, when you look back now, you're a very young man that's just toured South Africa, swapped professions, so you went from rugby union to rugby league, and then you're competing at the Commonwealth Games. This is all in the space of... 18 months, two years, yeah. But the funny part about it too, in 1959, I was offered a scholarship to go to Stanford University. Things could have turned out very differently, couldn't they? I wouldn't have passed the entrance exam. I was stupid. <laughs> but I still got the scholarship. And I said, I said to mum, I said, I'm not going to go to America. I said, no way. So I, I, I turned it down. Thank God I did. And then I, uh, I, I just carried on with, with, with the league. And, that, and when I came back for the Commonwealth Games, I, I had to go to uh, – I, I think I played against England too that year, the 62. Yeah, it was 62. Okay. Yeah, Great Britain, Great Britain. Yeah, it was. In rugby league. Because that was your, That's your right. debut. That's right, that big debut. And, oh. Actually, speaking of debuts, do you remember both your debuts? You played six tests for the Wallabies. You played eight tests for Australia. Do you remember both debuts? Yeah. Very fondly, no doubt. Well, the, de- the, debut, the debut was against Fiji. Yeah. That was rugby. Mm. Mark Joe Lavula. And you wouldn't believe it, you know, when I went to England in 63, Joe Lavula was playing for Hull. And, wow. a, and a, a, a Wissy Diwai, who was a centre for the yep. Fiji, he was playing for Hull also in the centres. And that's why South picked me, actually, because in, the, in that test match against, against uh, Fiji, I got knocked out. I came in off the wing and, and a Wissy Diwai, as I, as I went, went to go around, he threw his elbow out and hit me straight and knocked me out. And, and Maloney told me this. He said, oh, they took on the sideline. I woke up on the sideline and you went back on the field and you scored three tries. He said, so we thought you were going to be a good boy, which I was. I was a good boy. But yeah. You know, those little instances, there's that. And, and the one against England, the one against England was, was a beauty because they, they put uh, Mike Sullivan. And Mike Sullivan was a tough little bugger. Yeah. Oh, he's a tough bugger. And they said... Uh, He's going to run all over you," I said. "No, he's not." I said, "Oh, for... so I remember we were we were attacking the Paddington Hill, at the cricket yep. ground. Sullivan came, the ball came towards me, and I thought, "You're not going to run round." I turned my back inside of the referee, and I duckled down. As he comes through, I went whack and hit him with a right hook, straight up in the face, straight in the face. He never moved, never flat, never moved. Oh. I said, "Christ, what's, what's wrong with this bloke?" So the game goes on. Second half, he's, he's defending the Sheridan stand. And a bloke in the crowd threw an apple at him. Wow. An apple. I said, oh, you beaut. The crowd are against him. They're all familiar to me. Mike Sullivan bent down to pick it up and ate it. He said to the bloke, thanks very much. They finished up cheering him. That's an old pro. So he's old, an old pro. He was fat. He turned, he oh, turned, yes. he turned that into, a, into, into a, a great, a great uh, they, they supported him then. So we lasted about 10 minutes in that second half, and then there was an all-in brawl. 
and I'm in there, and Sullivan's got me, and I've got him, and I'm leading from the left straight, left, bang, bang, bang. Thank God there was a fence around there because I'd have finished up out, out in Moore Park Road because I just kept going backwards and backwards and backwards. <laughs> and it was me and Sullivan. It was Irvine and Boston. Now, Boston was six foot six or something. Jeez, Irvine man. was five foot six. Yeah. He got sent off. And McTeed, McTeed and, um, and Hambly, we all got sent off. And, well, that was actually New South Wales, not the Test Match, New South Wales. But the funny part about it, when I went in the judiciary on the Monday, I said to uh, Sullivan, I said, mate, I hit you in the mouth and you never flinched. He said, oh, you got me a beauty. And he put his tongue out. He cut his tongue right across. He had stitches on the top of his tongue. But he wasn't going to let me know that yeah. I heard him. I heard him. That's the, and we finished up good mates. He came, came back to Australia and he, he went and trained Junee. I picked yeah. him up at the airport and drove him to Junee and everything like that. He finished up working as a, um, in the uh, prison section of England. Okay. Yeah. What does being a dual international mean to you? How proud of you of that? I'm well, more proud of being a triple. Yeah. I'm actually the only one living. Okay, history lesson time. Yeah. I know you are one of four athletes to have represented yeah. Australia in three sports. One was your former teammate and rival, Dickie Thornette. Yes. Another, the legendary Snowy Baker. Yourself, I can't find the fourth. Wal Mackney. Wal Mackney. Snowy Baker did everything. He was an actor, and well, I was a male model too. But, yes. You know, <laughs> I could have branded Michelle and hit him with a handbag and lift up <laughs> your skirt and run and all that sort of thing. So, you know, but I made a lot of money out of that, you know. When I turned pro, I got, I got a thousand quid. Mm. That was just $2,000. The, the day they're on six and seven hundred thousand. Um, and I took on male modelling, and that was only through Tony Manigan, who was a light heavyweight champion yeah. and also a golden gloves champion I went to school with. I took up the modelling, because the, the modelling was effeminate in those days. It mm. <laughs> wasn't taken on by footballs. But I did Erna Silla suits. I did a milk ad with Nolene Batley at uh, Luna Park. I did uh, Country Life cigarettes. I, had, I couldn't go to air because I was only 23. You had to be over 24 to, to, to do a cigarette ad. Is that right? I did Thompson Ford too. Boat one Thompson Ford yes. selling cars. Now, I was getting 12,500 quid for that. I used to get a salary of about 7,000, and they gave me an LTD Ford. That's starting to get serious, yes, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, I used to do the young man's shop, farmer's young man's shop, and did all that, and I got Mick Fevers and Les Johns into it too. Yeah. I was working with FJ Farmers. They did a little bit of modelling with me. So I did make every post a winner. Any of your opponents on the rugby league field have a crack at you about being the male model? Oh, they all did. They yeah. all did. They all did. Hitting with your handbag. I'd say, which one? The one on my arm or the one in the bank, you dickhead, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but the, uh, the, actually, the worst one was, was, was Bobby Fulton, a great, great friend, a good friend of mine, but he was, yep. the, best, he was the best heckler you've ever, ever He yeah. was awful on the field. He'd, he'd say anything, anything. You know, I'd just been with your sister and all that sort of thing. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, okay, okay, right now. But uh, no, he's a good bloke, Bobby. Good bloke. Griffin Air Conditioning offers the highest quality of air conditioning sales and service across the Sydney metropolitan area, providing installation and maintenance to commercial, domestic and industrial customers. Working with this team, you'll be guaranteed the latest services, technology and developments in the industry. Visit griffinair.com.au and tell them we sent you for a cool deal. 
The Kangaroo Tour of 1963-64, Arthur Summons was the captain coach, and Walsh was vice-captain. The playing group included names like Gaznia, Irvine, Kelly, Langlands, Raper, Ryan, Thornett, quite possibly, Michael, the greatest assembly of players the game has seen. It was, it's, and we're the, we won the, won the Ashes the first time in 50 years we won the Ashes. Exactly uh, right. I'll never forget the first, the first test at Wembley, Peter Diamond, going down the walk, down the passageway, Cliff Watson, he hit him in the chin, said this is what you're going to get on the field. So they were tough blokes, they, they didn't mess around, didn't mess around. I didn't get in a test side there, it was, it was, it was Irvine and, and Diamond got yep. me in. I played a lot of the, a lot of the country games, it was... It's a great experience. What the difference, but for difference coming from South Africa, rugby union. Yeah, it was like me coming from Waverley College and going to Redfern over to play for South. Yeah, I mean, I was came from Darling Point. We lived at Darling Point, which is a posh area. Everything. Dad had the silver spoon in my bum, so that was all right. <laughs> and then I go to Redfern Oval, and that, that the, that's the best times I've ever had. They were the best yeah. team of blokes ever. We used to heckle each other. We called. Eric Robinson, we call him My Man Friday. You know, he's, he's a oh, white trash and all that. And we'd laugh about it. We'd never, ever thought we'd been insulted. We, we remember one day we went up to Gillingana for um, Surface Paradise and they said to um, Larpa Stewart, you can't come into the beer garden because he's Aboriginal. We said, if he doesn't come in, well, will none of us go in? And they said, well, you'll respond if you look after him. So we, 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 we looked after him. He didn't cause any trouble. But, you know, because he was Aboriginal, they wouldn't let him in. But see, things have changed now, thank God. Thankfully. Yeah. What stories and memories stand out from that kangaroo tour? Oh. Well, I bought a car. I bought a Humber Hawk. It cost me £12.10. <laughs> 24 quid. 24, £12.10, $24. 24 went to auction. Went to auction. It used to jump for the third gear, so I filled, I filled up the gearbox with the, the banana skins. You give a nice thick grease and got to keep the noise down. I drove everywhere in the thing. Hey, but I'll never forget the day they sent me. To, I was a dirty for this particular day, so I owned a car. So they said, you'll go down and do the washing. Oh, okay. They've got 24 jumpers down the laundromat outside Ilkley. halfway down. I've got the car. And, uh, Keep this clean for you, but the girl in the laundromat, she's got a good head. She should have been a nail, <laughs> but she's a big lady. And I'm watching the tub go around, spin, spin, spin. And she said, um, Would you like a cup of tea? I said, Oh, yeah, I'll have a cup of tea upstairs for a cup of tea. She said, Would you like a cuddle? I said, Yeah, I'll have a cuddle. Any case, when we came down, she ironed all the jumpers and everything like that, made it all nice and clean. And way back, as soon as I got back, the rotten bugger said to me, you're going back again. I said, what for? They said, this is the first time we've ever had the jumpers timed. <laughs> so, so I finished up. I finished up to go back next week and, <laughs> and get the jumpers all washed again. But those days you had to do your own washing. Wow. Yeah, today they, they don't even wash a thing. They, they've, no. got, they've got their training gear. They don't even have to buy a pair of shoes or a pair of boots. It's, it's all supplied. Times are changing, aren't they? Oh, yeah. But, you know, ours were good times. But we, we had good times. Old Kelly and... Oh, Ryan yeah. Hambly and Langlands. Oh, I never bloody Langlands one day. God stripe, he was a cheeky bugger. We're down the shoe store down in Ilkley. And I was buying a pair of sneakers or something, I don't know, and Langlands came in the shop and he picked them up and threw, the, threw them against the wall and said, what are you buying this crap for from this? Don't let this bloke sell you these things. And I grabbed him. I said, hey, listen, 
What's wrong with you? What did you do that for? Said he was doing nothing wrong. He put his head down, you know, and he felt embarrassed. He used to bang on a lot of, lot of side about him, but deep, yeah. deep down he was a very humble, simple bugger that used to cover up his embarrassment by being nasty and rude. Wow. Yeah. And uh, I remember that, I remember that. You know, they used to open the hotel every four years for, for the Australian side. No one else would stay there. It was a dilapidated old bloody place on the, on the, on the hills, on the moors of, of Ilkley. I remember one day we went up, we went upstairs, up in the up in the hills, and pinched a sheep. <laughs> brought it down. And I put it in Gazny and Diamond's room. <laughs> of course, it, it dropped everywhere, crap everywhere, all over his room and everything. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, oh dear, things we used to do. But your early years in rugby league were dominated by that wonderful St George Dragons side that won eleven premierships straight. But as the decade got towards it's closed, 1967, 1968, 1970, three premierships alongside your name. Yeah. Are they all as important and memorable as each other, or does one stand out? Well, the loss against Balmain, that, 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 that's, 69, that's yeah. pretty prominent and mind-bounding because in those days, if someone was injured, the referee'd stop play. And, of course, Balmain, Balmain kept lying on the ground and stopping yeah. play. So we could, couldn't get momentum going. We just couldn't get going. And I remember, I remember poor old John O'Neill kept saying, come on, come on, we've got these blokes stuff. Let's get, keep going, keep going. And he was still saying it on the bell had gone. It was too late. And uh, uh, a 65 one against St. George, that was, I remember that one too. That was great. That was something like 73,000 people at the Sydney yeah. Creek ground on the roof. That was the record-breaking day. Oh, oh yeah. It? They were on the, on the sideline. They were up in the, up in the showground, up the stand there. They were, they were everywhere, and I remember Jimmy Lyle early in the game said, come round me, come round me. So I was round him, I came, and I looked up, and there's Candos of Kevin Ryan, Kim, and my head came out my anus. Fair dick, and I said, oh, <laughs> what have I done here? And it would have been like 10, <laughs> 10 minutes later, Jimmy says, come round me. I said, get stuffed, I will. I'm not coming round you, poor old yeah. Jimmy. Jimmy had to do a turn and keep going himself. But they were, they were a great side. Because of that day, it was the unlimited tackle rule. That's right. And then the, then the four-tackle rule came in, and then the six-tackle six rule. Tackle, yeah. And then Eric Simmons, they had to change the, the, the goal kicking from two points to one point yeah. because he kept dropping them from everywhere. Amazing change in oh. the space of five or six years, wasn't it? Because I oh. think the it was a matter, only a matter of two years. Unlimited tackle was 67, and then… It was 65, unlimited. And then, 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 they, then they tried the, the four-tackle four rule, rule and that six. wasn't enough. Then they brought in the six. Yeah. Amazing. They're still tinkering with the rules in twenty. I know, I know, I know. They're, they're, they're talking about they're talking about one point if, if it's in the twenty-five or three, two yeah. points if it's outside the twenty-five. But I, I think the, I think it's going all right, rugby league. But it's, it's a spectacle to watch. I mean, do you, you still know, watch it? I do. Yeah. I try to watch the rugby, and I tell you, that's boring. That is yeah. that's hopeless. I mean, I don't know what they're doing. But he scrums. It taking ten minutes to have a scrum, and then, yep. then they repack it, and referees sending blokes off of high tackles and all that sort of thing. I mean, we used to run with their arm in the, up, 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 up in the air just to stop the block of the stiff yeah. arm tackle. We knew how to protect ourselves. Mm. I, I, I've got three, there's three blokes that have, or four, four people have had a, a real impact on my life. Of course, my father. Yep. And then there was, uh, there was Tony Madigan, yeah. Doug Phillips. It was Doug Phillips who said to me when he was at the National Coursing Association, will you raise Ken Irvine? This is, this is back in 63. Yeah. He said, we'll give you a thousand quid. A thousand quid, two thousand dollars. 
the, the ranch race. I said, oh, yeah. I said to Kenny, do you want to be in it? He said, yeah, we'll be in it. I said, I'll give you 500. We'll get 500. He said, okay. Of course, that year before in, in, in England, Eddie Waring, who was called in the rugby league, said, yeah. will you race it? I said, I'm not going to race each other. We've got a thousand quid at home. We're not going to race it here. He said, well, I'll race a car. I said, all right, we'll get a car. So we got a Vauxhall Velox. We went to the, went to the White City. It was a um, road track around the fence. Yep. And Eddie, Eddie had, a, had a Jagger. He used to drive an automatic Jagger. And they put him in this Vauxhall Velox, the manual change. And we were running 60 metres, 60 yards. Ken did a 6.4 six or something. I did a 6.3. So, uh, wow. Uh, but all you could hear was Eddie wearing screeching the deer box. I mean, he was a hopeless driver. And I think that's why I ran so fast to keep away from him. And, and of course, Roderick Miller. Roderick Miller, that was, that was a change of my life. Mm. What happens there, I left Colonial Sales and went to a firm called FJ Palmer's and I was, I was there buying, I, actually, actually, you know, I, I got the first Adidas agency for that first shop. Wow. Got it for nothing. I, I organised it through David Jones, who was English, who was a rep for, in England for yeah. it. He gave me, I bought the, I bought the 9.9 Spike, a Comet warm-up shoe and, um, and uh, then another, another pair of Spikes. I go to F.J. Palmer's. In any case, they w- were taken over around about 1965, and uh, the, re- the receiver called me in. <laughs> I'll never forget this. And they said, "Michael, you are a luxury we cannot afford." <laughs> so, redundancy. Oh dear. And I, I rang a mate of mine called Jack Green, famous horse trainer. Yeah. He's scallywag mate of a father's. Him and Eddie Stewart. And I said, Jack. Um, can I uh, come down and see the Melbourne Cup? He said, yeah, 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 I'm training a horse called Strauss. I said, who owns Strauss? He said, oh, Roderick Miller. I said, oh, does he? I said, I just went out to the brewery to see a fellow called Harry House to see if I get a job at the brewery. He said, well, why don't you come and see me? I said, well, if I'm going to work at the brewery. I'm going to work with Harry. So when I got off the plane on the Monday, this is before the Tuesday of the Melbourne Cup, yeah. uh, Jack had me in Roderick's office in College Street, Collins Street, Melbourne. And... Uh, Roderick was an alcoholic, of course, and he was full as a boot. Okay. But a great man, a great man. And he had all his scallywags mates around him, all, all the executives and all that sort of thing. I was in there at four o'clock. At five o'clock, he'd rung Menzies, he'd rung Askin, the Premier. He rang a fellow called Elliot, who was the head of, head of, head of the Waterside Workers Union. And uh, then he said to me, I've got to go, and have a, go to the toilet, he said, come with me. So well, we put his arm around me and he started to, to urinate, I said, I was being nice. all over my foot and everything, but that didn't matter. And when I went back to his office, he said, Now, son, you want a job, do you? It's a good story. How much you want a week? I said, I'm getting 23 quid a week. I'd like 25 pounds a week, which is good money when the basic wage is 18 pounds 10. Well, yeah, you know, okay. 25 quid a week, that's $50 a week. Yep. He shook his head. He said, No. I said, Oh, God, what's happened here? No. He said, Son, I'll give you 75 quid a week. I'm 25 years of age, 75 quid a week, $150, $150 a week. When everyone else, everyone else was earning £18.10, $36, mate. Gee. I said, now, have you got a car? I said, oh, I've got a beautiful, I've got a nice HQ, uh, Holden, blue one with white up, white steering, everything beautiful. He said, sell it. I said, what? I said, sell it. I said, you get a car too. Get your car. He said, because when I want you to tell you to go to Melbourne, 
I don't you tell me car's broken down. He said, you go to Melbourne. I tell you, go to Melbourne. So I rang Dad and I said, oh, crumbs. Son, is he feeding? I said, yeah. He said, now listen, you come to the race with me and sit, sit up here with me. the owners stand with me. He said, now I want you to take my niece and look after us. Don't you? I said, oh, Mr. Miller, I will not touch her. I will not yeah. go near her. He said, now you be in my office in Bridge Street on Monday, next Monday, 8 o'clock in the morning. Arrived there at 8 o'clock in the morning, called me in. I don't know what to do. He said, go home and come back tomorrow. I've got a big salary and I've got a job yet. Yeah. So he called me back on the Monday, on the Tuesday I went back. He said, now what I want you to do is go behind the brewery. There's a semi-detached cottage. He said, there's a catering manager, stock controller, entertainment director, the engineer. You go and work for all them. So I learnt the trade. I learnt from everyone. It would start at 8 o'clock in the morning and I'd finish at 12 o'clock at night. Open pubs for him at uh, Blacktown, Marion, all those places. Yeah. So then about 60, 68, a call, Johnny Wade, who was the entertainment director, he died. He said, now you take over the entertainment. I said, oh, Mr Miller, I don't know anything about entertainment. Son, if they're playing in time with a till, you book them. So, that was it, yeah. It. He said, I'll give you a million and a half dollars to spend, give me three million back. So I used to book, I booked the, the, the platters, and I did Billy Thorpe, the Aztecs. Yeah. I had them at the Oceanic. The Oceanic held 1,300 people. Three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon, we'd have 1,300 people in that bar. I used to pay him 80 quid, 80 quid Jeez. for a spot, Billy Thorpe. 80 quid. His whole band. And they'd rock and roll there and they'd finish up finish up at the, uh, the Oceanic and then downstairs to the bar. Oh, we made money. Did we make some money? Then Roderick says to me, son, go and get me some hotel sites. He said, you know, we need three acres. I said, yeah, you, know, you have three acres. You've got eight motels. You've got a parking for 120 cars yep. and your pub. Okay. Where do I start, Mr. Miller? Go down the waterboard, will you? Get a contact. What do I go? Finish up getting a lady who happened to be Norma O'Neill's sister. Yeah. She was the private secretary of the chairman of the waterboard. I said, Mr. Miller, I've got a contact. What do I do now? Go and find out where the sewer lines are going, will you? Blacktown. Marion, Mount Druitt, yep. North St Mary's, Kingswood, pubs, we built pubs. It wasn't a house in sight. James Roos at Rouse Hill, yeah. 13 acres of land, not a house anywhere. The only thing there was a water tower. Now it's wall to wall. There's a big shopping centre opposite. It's the biggest centre you've ever seen. What a marvel. Then poor old Roderick dies. So then the wrestling came. We hope you're enjoying Michael Cleary, The Complete Package. Still to come in this amazing free episode interview, modelling, his frustrations and celebrations. If you're enjoying Before You Go, we'd love a five-star rating and review on whatever podcast app you're listening on. We're giving away an unfiltered trucker's hat each week to the best review. Make sure you come back soon, legends. Legends.